So Luke 2, starting in verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your word. We are thankful for what we sang just a few minutes ago, that hope has a name, and that name is Emmanuel, Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word and to celebrate all that you've done for us in Jesus Christ. So now open up our minds, soften our hearts, and empower our hands and our feet and our lips to serve and proclaim you faithfully as we go out from here in just a while into a world that needs to know the good news of Jesus, in whose name we pray all of these things. Amen. When I was seven years old, our church did their kind of traditional Christmas pageant. Uh, there, were, there were songs, there was a choir that sang Christmas carols, and then uh, a number of people sort of acted out uh, the Christmas uh, seen the nativity, and uh, my role was to be the star of Bethlehem. So what I did was I was supposed to walk slowly across the stage from one side to the other, holding a star on a, on a tall stick. It was like a six or eight foot stick with a big foam star on the top, and the star was all decorated with glitter, so it was supposed to look like the star of Bethlehem. And as the choir sang, we three kings of Orient are, I, was, I would walk across the stage with this star. So what happened here in the middle of this production was I got up to about the point on the stage where I'm standing now, about right halfway, choir behind me, choir director uh, down below me. And right as I got here, I don't know if the air conditioning kicked on or something, but the star flew off the top of the stick and it, and it flew down and it, and it hit the music director's stand, which toppled it over and all his music fell on the floor and he had to step off of his podium. So I didn't know what to do. So I just stood there with my stick until he picked it up, handed it to somebody else who came around and uh, we managed to get it back on the top and right toward the end of the song, I got the rest of the way across the stage. So uh, that was not what the choir director planned for or wanted to happen. It wasn't what anybody expected to happen, but people liked it. 
And I know that because afterwards I got all of these comments like, that was the most interesting part of the Christmas pageant. <laughs> they were like, these things are usually just all the same, but, but this year you made it special. You did something special. They were like, you did a really great job also just waiting there, not panicking, waiting for the star. And, uh, you know, I think as I look at that in hindsight, it wasn't anything particularly that I did. It was just that year after year after year, we kind of hear the same songs. We kind of watch the same plays. We kind of do the same stuff. And all of a sudden, everybody was like, here's something fresh, right? Something new, something different. It didn't even matter if it was a disaster. People just wanted something fresh. Now, I share that because I do think a lot of times we need a fresh view of Christmas. I think a lot of times uh, we get wrapped up in doing all the same things at all the same times in all the same ways, including a lot of the stress and a lot of the distraction, a lot of the, the discord, maybe even sadness that hits you at this time of year. And you come to church and you sing the same songs and you hear the same stories and you read the same passages. And the, the wonder of the Christmas story itself gets lost gets lost in kind of the busyness of the season and the roteness of the season. And so what I want to do this morning as we look at Luke chapter 2 is I want to give us a fresh look at the Christmas story for a few minutes. I want us to look again at what it means that the eternal God of the universe became a man. That God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and he came to live among us so that we could see God's grace and truth, so that we could know God. What, what does that mean? And here's, here's the question I want us to ask this morning. Uh, as we walk through Luke 2, really simply, how do we regain our sense of wonder at the miracle of Christmas? How do we regain our sense of wonder at the miracle of Christmas? Um, every year... I read through Luke 2 several times at this time of year. I'm sure you do as well. Even if you don't read it on your own, you hear it read in church. Uh, But every year when I read it, I've started to pay attention to how everybody involved in this announcement about Jesus responded. And And here's why. Because nobody in this story, when you read Luke 2, nobody was bored. Nobody heard the message and was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But we got stuff to do. Everybody, everybody was astounded. Everybody marveled. Everybody wondered. Everybody worshiped. Everybody was just blown away that God would enter into human history in a place like Bethlehem. And so, again, that's what we're going to do this morning for just a few minutes. I want to look at the, the wonder of this story from a different angle for us this morning and ask this question, how do we regain our sense of wonder at the miracle of Christmas? We're gonna look at how the shepherds responded, how the townspeople responded, how Mary responded, and we're gonna see how those responses can also inform how we should respond at this time of year. So that's what I wanna do. So uh, we read the passage just a few minutes ago, but let me again set the scene for you. Uh, You know the story, right? So these shepherds, they're just outside Bethlehem. They are with their flock, and uh, they're just doing what shepherds do, right? They're just kind of taking care of their flock. Maybe some of them are sleeping, some of them are awake. We don't really know. You have to remember, of course, in the first century uh, in 
Judea, outside Bethlehem, really anywhere, there were no streetlights. There was no electricity. So all you would have had was a dark sky, maybe populated by the moon, by some stars. It could have been pitch black. Could have been a little bit of light from, from the heavens, but we don't know. But mostly it's dark, and all of a sudden, there's a bright, shining light. And it says, the, these, these shepherds, they're afraid. In fact, uh, if you have the old King James, it says they are sore afraid, right? They're so afraid that it kind of hurts. I wish we still translated it that way. Such a vivid way of describing it. They're afraid. And, and of course, if you only ever have thought about angels as sort of innocuous, like, you know, highway to heaven or precious moments or something like that, this might strike you as odd, right? So uh, this true story, several years ago, well, many years ago, a couple decades ago, I was traveling through Missouri with my mom, and I was in my 20s, and she said, hey, while we're, while we're driving through here, can we go see the Precious Moments Chapel and Museum? And I said, sure, sure, mom. Um, I, don't need, I don't need anything from there, but we can go ahead and go in and uh, you know, we can go see it, you know, maybe let's not take a lot of pictures, whatever, but I'll go in with you. And so we went into the thing, and uh, what I remember was, man, it was impressive. This guy had painted, he had recreated the Sistine Chapel on the ceiling of this, of this chapel in the middle of Missouri, except it was all like babies, angel babies and angel people and everything. I was like, the, the artwork is impressive. The angels are not. Right, but, but the angels that appear to these shepherds, they're filled with the glory of God. They shine the glory of God. And so the shepherds are afraid, and they announce to them, they say, really good news. I have good news of great joy that is for all the people, right? All the people, that unto us a child has been born, and he is, he is a Savior. A Savior's been born who is Christ the Lord, and he's been born right here in Bethlehem, all right? So what are the angels telling these shepherds? They're saying that the king of Israel, the promised anointed Messiah, the one that God promised to King David, the one that God promised to Abraham, this Messiah, this savior, this ruler of Israel that you've been waiting for, for generation after generation after generation, he's been born in Bethlehem. He's just a stone's throw away. And I want you to know that. Now, I've always found this interesting to, to ask this question, why these guys? Why would all of the glory of God and all of these angels come to display itself and to share this message with a group of shepherds outside Bethlehem? Like if I were gonna share this message, I would go maybe, maybe to the king, somebody who could get the word out. I might go to a high priest or somebody like that, somebody religiously important, but they come to a group of shepherds. And so why? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. One is simply because shepherds are their ordinary people. They, they work an ordinary job. And uh, the, the angel, they say, this is a message not just for the king, not just for the priest. In fact, the kings and the priests and the leaders, they didn't welcome this news with great joy when they heard it. They felt threatened by this news. So he comes to these shepherds and he says, this message is for everybody. It's for you. It's for all the people. But there's another reason. And that is because the imagery of shepherd is deeply significant in the Bible. As you read through, especially the Old Testament, God is often portrayed as a shepherd. And in fact, in these promises of the Messiah, the Messiah is portrayed as a shepherd. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd leads his flock to nourishment. 
And so, so the imagery is here's a Messiah, a king who's coming one day who will lead the nation of Israel and eventually all of the world to spiritual nourishment, but also will provide in every possible way that this king is going to bring a kingdom where nobody will be hungry or thirsty anymore. There will be no more death, no more sin, no, no more uh, strife or conflict. There will be a relationship with God that is, that is perfect and intimate forever. And so you know that great passage in Micah 5 too the one we read every Christmas that talks about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, right? That there's a ruler from old who's gonna come, who's gonna be born in Bethlehem. Two verses after that, Micah 5, 4, this Messiah is described like this. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth, right? This Messiah is coming to shepherd Right? As you move into the book of Isaiah, he will feed his flock. This is the Messiah as well. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. So this angel comes to shepherds and he says, guys, you understand what a shepherd is. I'm gonna tell you that the greatest shepherd of all time is here with us. You know there was another king of Israel who was, who was a shepherd, right? Who also was born in Bethlehem. He was from Bethlehem. His name was David. David is this great shepherd, warrior, king. To David, God had promised, David, from your line is gonna come a king who will reign over my people Israel and over all the ends of the earth. And so to these shepherds near Bethlehem, they say, in the pattern of David, but greater than David, a greater shepherd has come. Of course, we know Jesus would grow up to be uh, this perfect man who perfectly represents the character of God because he is fully God and fully man. And, and Jesus in John 10, he says this, I am what? I am the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. So the good shepherd is the one we know ultimately would die for our sins, rise from the dead, and offer eternal life to all who believe. That's, that's what we've been talking about as we've gone through the first half of Romans this semester. That the good news of Jesus Christ is he died in our place. He rose from the dead. All who believe in him can have eternal life. So here's this amazing message that the angels announced to these shepherds. And they're astounded by it. And so again, as we move further into the second half of this passage, the question then emerges, how do we regain our sense of wonder at the miracle of Christmas? How did they respond and how can we respond? So I wanna offer three responses really quickly that we see in this passage as we move through the rest of the passage. All right, so first of all, verse 15, again, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. So the first thing they do is simply this. They focus. They focus. So the, the message that the Messiah has arrived, the Messiah is in Bethlehem, uh, that message is, is uh, proclaimed to them, is pronounced to them, and they immediately, they go, hey, let's go straight to Bethlehem. Now, this is really remarkable uh, because they're out in the fields with their sheep. And I don't know what they did with the sheep. Maybe there was like a sheep intern or something. They're like, sorry, bud, you gotta stay here. We're gonna go to Bethlehem. But they drop everything and they go. And here's what's, you know, when I was younger and I used to read this passage, I thought, 
They went maybe because they wanted proof. They wanted validation that the message was true. I don't think that's right for a couple of reasons. One, in and of himself, a baby isn't proof of anything. But secondly, a whole bunch of angels had just appeared and told them it's true. You don't need to go like fact check the heavenly host of God. So I don't think that's why they're going. I think they're going because they say, nowhere we could be tonight is more important than this. And one day, we can tell our kids and our grandkids, and they can tell their kids and grandkids that we were there when the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. Nothing mattered more. So I grew up in Dallas in the 80s and 90s mostly. And so at that time, the the Dallas Mavericks, of course, were our big NBA team. Uh, When I was growing up, they were rarely good. Uh, but we would sometimes go and watch the games. And I remember uh, I was once invited to go and see the Mavericks play the Chicago Bulls. And admittedly, I didn't go to see whether or not the Mavericks would win the game because I knew they would lose the game. And the reason I knew they would lose the game was because of Michael Jordan, who was playing at the time. So why did I go? I didn't go because of the suspense. I didn't go to see who was going to win. I went to see what ultimately ended up happening, which was Michael Jordan just trouncing the Dallas Mavericks, running up and down the court, so that one day, in a setting like this, I could say, I saw him play. (laughs) All right? That's why I went. I saw the greatest player of all time play the game live. That's why the shepherds go to Bethlehem. It's not because they doubt it. It's not because they need proof. They just say, this is the most important event in all of human history. If this is true, that the Messiah, that Christ the Lord, the Savior of the world was born here, there's nothing more important, not even the sheep that are in the field. So they go straight to Bethlehem to see this thing. And, and, you know, as I think about that, I love this response because, again, I wonder how often that is our approach at Christmas How often do we say nothing matters more than focusing on Jesus? It's hard to do. It's hard to do at this time of year, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to do. There are a lot of things to do. It's December 17th, and you're like, I still got six presents left to buy and to wrap, and Amazon's saying they're going to get here on the 27th at this point, right? I still have food to make. I still have relatives to invite. I've still got all of these things to do. And so it's hard to pause and say, I'm going to focus on Jesus. You know, if you, if you are married, you have kids, ask yourself this question. When your kids are grown and they look back on Christmas, what will they say that you focused on at this time of year? What characterized your Christmas season? Was it stress about presents, about money, about the Christmas tree lights that won't stay on? Whatever it was, was it stress? Or did you orient your family's rhythms around worshiping and focusing on Jesus? It's not too late to do that. You know, I know you you may have that Advent devotional that you meant to start on December 1st, and now it's the 17th, and you've done like two days of it. It's not too late. If nothing else, you can gather with your family, your roommate, whatever, and you can read Luke chapter 2 this week. 
and say, let's talk about the fact that the, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, entered into our world. That's what we celebrate. This is what the shepherds do. They just say, nothing matters more than focusing on this event. Can our heart posture be one of focus? All right, and here's what I love then next, is as they go to Bethlehem and they see Jesus and they focus on, on the reality of this moment, it so fills their hearts and their minds that the second thing they do is they go and they, they share. They go and they tell other people who haven't yet heard the news. I honestly think this is one of the reasons also that these particular shepherds are chosen, right? Because remember, like when Herod, when the king hears about Jesus, his instinct isn't to go tell people that the Messiah has been born. His instinct is to kill him. The shepherd's instinct is to say, if this is true, Everybody has to hear it, right? So in verse 17, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child, right? I love this, right? The, the, the joy of this event so fills their hearts. They say, everybody's got to know. Now, but they don't, you know, they don't go to like a, a seminar, right? How to tell people about the baby in Bethlehem. Now, there's nothing wrong with those types of seminars and classes, and we've had them here. If you, if you struggle with how to share the gospel, how to articulate it with the courage to do so, those can be great. But, but here's what I want to point out is that the reason they share, it's a real simple message. The Messiah has come. Our Savior is here. There's never a question of whether they're going to tell other people about the message. They just simply go and they tell other people about the message. Some of you in here, uh, from time to time, will, will come up to me and, you know, we'll, we'll be like in the middle of a normal conversation and like apropos of nothing, you'll pull out your phone and start showing me pictures of your grandchildren, right? And you're like, hey, guess what? The other day, literally a couple weeks ago, I was talking with somebody. I don't remember who it was, but I was like, hey, how's it going? And he was like, good. And he goes, you know, like, I'm Bob, and he introduces himself, and he goes, but my new name is Granddad, right? And he pulls out his phone. And I'm like, man, like that, that's amazing. Like that's what you led with, was that your name is Bob or, or whatever, and your, your new name now is, is Granddad, because that in your mind and heart is, is the most important thing that's happened to you in the last year or so, and you just want me to know. Now, now he, nobody instructed that person to tell me that fact about his life. He, he wasn't sitting there brainstorming. It was just that his heart was so filled with the joy of having a grandbaby. He had to tell. That's how the shepherds respond. They have to tell. They can't hold it in. Because God came to live among us. Again, I think a lot of times in the Christmas season, we know that there are people around us, whether family members or coworkers or people at our favorite restaurant or whatever it may be, that they need to know about Jesus. We might even know that they would be open to hearing about Jesus, but we either say, I don't have time to work that in, or I'm afraid, I don't know what to say. I, I would say there's, there's no better time than this season to share the good news. People are already hearing the songs. Remember the same songs that we've all sung. They're, they're mostly about Jesus. The ones that aren't about like Rudolph or Frosty are mostly about Jesus. They're hearing the message. It's a time of year where people are open often. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, I went through a drive-through line, just like a fast food drive-through line with Shannon. And um, you know, outside of this building, most of the places we go in town, I'm known as Shannon's husband, right? So we go 
somewhere else, and they're like, oh, hey, Shannon, hey, buddy, right? And so they, they see us, and you know, it's like, so, so we're going through this line, and she gets to talking to the, the young woman behind the counter who's probably 19, 20 years old, and turns out that um, we asked, hey, what are you doing for Christmas? What are you doing for Christmas Eve? And she's like, I'm just, I'm going to be around here. And, and so we're sitting there trying to, you know, kind of paying for our meal, and she, she says she, she had nowhere to go. She was estranged from her family. She was going to stay here alone in her apartment. And so we just said, what if you had Christmas Eve with us? If you like tamales, that's what we're having, right? So have Christmas Eve with us. And so she did. And she heard the good news of Jesus through the the testimony of, of my wife who was willing to notice a person who had a spiritual need in that moment, right? Those moments are always available. A couple of weeks ago, if you were here, we heard from the Moreau's who encountered some folks just a couple months ago in a stressful situation who were ready to hear the good news about Jesus. Those moments are always available and maybe even more so at this time of year. And so, so one of the reasons we focus on the Christmas story so uh, in depth at this time of year is also because as the, the joy of Christ's coming fills our hearts, then we are able to go out and share with others. And that's, wh- that's what the shepherds do. They go share the message because they're joyful. Is there somebody in your life who needs to hear about Jesus? Are you open to sharing at this time of year? You don't have to have theological degrees. You don't have to have a lot of training. You can just say, I really, I believe that what we're celebrating genuinely is the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? God loved us so much that he came into this world to live among us, to die as one of us, to rise from the dead so that you and I can live with him forever. That good news should be on our lips and on our hearts. So the shepherds go and share. And then the third major response that we see in this passage is a response of worship. Now, I love what happens after the shepherds share. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered or literally like they marveled they were they were amazed or or even disturbed or impressed is what this word means they wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds but mary treasured all these things pondering them in her heart the shepherds went back glorifying and praising god for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. All right, so uh, why do they worship? Well, because this message is amazing, right? So the shepherds go out, they tell other people. Other people then begin to worship. They're like, this is amazing news. Maybe some believed, maybe some didn't believe, maybe some laughed at them, maybe some went to see the baby also. We don't really know, but we know that everybody who heard it was like, if this is true, this is, this is news worth marveling at worth rejoicing, worth praising God. And so this kicks off sort of a a chain of worship. The shepherds worship and Mary worships and the, the townspeople worship because they know that again, as we focus on Jesus and as we come to deeply believe that the reality that he entered into our world, we need to marvel. It's easy to lose that, that sort of wonder and ability to marvel I think, in our world. Because, you know, we've got like science and iPhones and AI and all this kind of stuff. And so everything seems kind of stale, 
doesn't it? I mean, if we're honest, like when was the last time that you were really astounded by something in a really joyful way? Right, but the shepherds are. And and I think the message Luke is trying to communicate to us, he includes all of this detail for a reason, and I think he's trying to let us know that this is worth marveling at. It's worth worshiping every single day. Has the news grown old to you or to me? So they go out and they worship. And, And what I notice is that there are different modes of worship in this passage. There's a couple different modes of worship. One is that Mary she worships in quiet, this sort of quiet contemplation. I love the way that Mary's described, right? There's all this activity going on around them, like the baby's born, so I'm sure she's pretty tired. They've just traveled to Bethlehem. These shepherds are showing up, right? The town seems to now be awake in the middle of the night. There's all this chaos, and it says Mary, just she, she treasured, or literally she kind of guarded or kept all this stuff in her heart, and she pondered it. She chewed on it. She thought about it. Mary sits quietly, and she reflects on what she's been able to be a part of, the birth of Jesus Christ into the world. I, I love this because, you know, for some, some of us, you, you may be an introvert, right? So you're the kind of person that you go, like, this is what I would ordinarily do uh, given the option at this time of year, right? Like, I would ordinarily pull away, and I would be quiet. Maybe you're the kind of person that if there's a party at your house, you're like, I need to use the restroom, and you disappear for like an hour and a half, right? Everybody's like, where'd you go? And I get the sense maybe Mary is a little bit of a quieter, more introverted person based on the words that are used here. But I also want to say this. Maybe you're the extrovert who needs to pull away. That you're the one that's so busy preparing and planning and getting everything ready that you don't make time for Jesus. And don't get me wrong, this can happen with introverts and extroverts. You don't make time, right? So you're so busy preparing for Christmas that you don't make the time to worship him, to pull away and and seek to know him and spend time with him. Um, I have uh, three kids, two of whom have birthdays in January, so they always come hard on the heels of Christmas. And so it's interesting, one of the things that can happen is that you, you know, right on the heels of Christmas, you get busy getting ready for their birthday, right? So immediately you're just like, okay, we got to do a party, we got to get more gifts, and you know, you just, by the time you hit the second one, sometimes you're really, really wiped out. But I want you to imagine in the middle of all that, like we're getting ready maybe for my son's birthday. His is the first one, right? Early January. We're getting ready for his birthday and, and we're, we're getting a cake together and we're calling friends for the party and we're getting his gifts together and we're, we're working on all this for his birthday. Now imagine in the middle of that, my son comes up and says, hey, dad, can we go, can we go throw the football for a few minutes? And I say, son, I don't have time for you. I'm getting ready for your birthday. What's happened? Well, the preparation has distracted me from the the central relationship. How often does that happen to us at Christmas? Are you investing time to know him? To pull away and read his word? To be quiet before him? To contemplate and ponder what he's done? Maybe it is this week is a time for a reset. To say, I'm just going to spend a few minutes a day in prayer and quiet contemplation of what God has done in Jesus. The other response of worship that I see in this passage, of course, is this joyful corporate praise. The shepherds go out and they're, they're worshiping and they're praising and they're glorifying God as they go. They go home singing. They go home praising and rejoicing. 
Again, because God let them be a part of this unbelievable event in human history. And as I said before, we, we can worship knowing now the whole story that the Messiah who came to Bethlehem and was born as a baby grew to be a perfect man, fully God and fully man, fully able to represent God's perfect character and fully able to represent us as human beings. He died in our place and he rose from the dead. And if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. And so the foundation of our worship then is this good news. If you don't yet know Jesus, if you haven't yet believed in this good news, please do come talk with me, talk with one of our staff, talk with one of the elders or the guys you saw up here earlier. We would love to tell you the good news and help you start a relationship with Jesus. If you know him, will you invest time in in quietly contemplating who he is, but also singing praises? One of my favorite practices at this time of year is just to turn on Christmas worship, songs about Jesus, and just listen as I get ready in the morning, as I drive in my car, as I go throughout my day, because I fill my mind and my heart with the joy of worshiping Jesus, right? And some of you may say, you know what, I don't, I don't sing. It's okay, you're in your car, you're at your house. Nobody has to hear you. But we worship God. And we worship God also together. So, so one of the beautiful things that we have the opportunity always to do at Christmas is we come together. And this year, Christmas Eve does happen to be on a Sunday. But one of the reasons we gather on Christmas Eve is as close to Christmas as possible. We want to gather together and sing and worship together and praise God with loud voices for who he is and what he's done. Right, because again, I think we need a fresh experience of Christmas to begin to marvel once again at all that God has done. So, so let me offer a, a challenge then this morning. Um, I know you, you probably have a phone with you. Some of you have a pen and paper. Uh, whatever your preferred method of recording information. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Uh, pull it out and write down one practice that's gonna help you regain your sense of wonder this Christmas. Maybe it is you say between now and next week, I'm gonna read Luke 2, I'm gonna read Matthew 1 and 2, I'm gonna try to read it every day and notice new realities about Jesus. Maybe it is you're gonna gather with your family and you're gonna sing Christmas carols about Jesus. Whatever it is, you say, I I wanna have one One practice. Don't try to add 16. It's December 17th. Just one. You say, this is going to help me regain my sense of wonder in the midst of the craziness. Because again, the shepherds weren't bored. Mary wasn't bored. Joseph wasn't bored. The townspeople weren't bored. The angels definitely weren't bored by this message. Because it's the greatest message of all time. That God became a man. Dwelt among us so that we can one day dwell with him. What good news. How can we regain that wonder? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much. So much for your word. And we thank you so much 
for Jesus Christ. Thank you that he entered into our world as a baby, humble and helpless. And yet, the all-powerful creator of the universe, Lord, we don't understand that paradox, but we want to rejoice at it and marvel in it. Father, I pray that we would center our hearts and our minds, allow us to focus on Jesus in the days to come as we prepare for Christmas. I pray that he would be at the center of our homes, the center of our hearts and our lives, and I pray that we would seek opportunities as well to share the good news with those who need to know. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.